rich man, poor man, אין מחייבין אותו למכור. Poverty is a very emotional issue and uh, altogether finances uh, entails a lot of emotion as we learned yesterday uh, that a person who loses money even though he might not be poor the experience of loss in itself is a form of impoverishment that we need to be sensitive to and that we need to be able to empathize with and here we see further that it's possible for a person to have a, a large amount of assets and yet to be to be poor because poverty is not just a function of how much wealth a person owns but how much wealth he has access to uh, what his cash flow is like uh, in a recent study in the United States it was found that uh, a huge number of people and I don't remember the exact percentage but it was enormous uh, didn't have $400 for an emergency available um, in, in cash and Uh, and, and that's a level of poverty. Of course, today we have access to credit and, and things like that, uh, which perhaps would make a difference. But if a person has wealth that is tied up in a way that he cannot spend it, then that too is a form of poverty. And we have to be sensitive to that. And that's really what this piece of Gomorrah uh, revolves around. We start with a Mishnah in Masech Tepeya, Perek Ches. Mi sheyesh lo matayim zuz lo yitol leket shecha ofeo maserani. If a person has access to 200 zuz, we'll see in a moment why that figure, then he's not, he doesn't qualify to take leket shecha ofeo maserani. These are the agricultural tithes that are left for the poor, the corners of the field, things that are left in the field and so on. So on. If he had just one dinar less than, than uh, uh, 200, then even... Even if somebody gives him a thousand dinar as a, a, as a gift, as an act of tzedakah, he now qualifies for tzedakah uh, because he has less than 200. If somebody now writes him a check for a thousand, he may accept the full, the full check because at the point of rece- receiving it, he is in the status of a poor person. Uh, added to that, the Mishnah ends by saying, We don't require him to sell his house or his furniture in order to raise the 200. So if a person has under 200 zoos of available cash, uh, but he does have expensive furniture or a valuable house, we don't require him to sell those assets in order to raise the 200. We treat him like a poor person and we allow him to take Lekashika and, and pay her. Um, the Mordechai brings an, an interesting question. Firstly, the Mordechai explains that the 200 zoos is uh, the shiur hotza'ah l'shanam bezonotu malbushim. The Chachamim established that 200 zoos is the amount a person needs to spend on food and clothing for a year. So it's quite a large amount of money. And if a person doesn't have access to a year's um, cost of food and clothing, then they're classified as a poor person. And that's quite interesting because there are probably a lot of people then that would be classified as, as, as poor people in terms of that definition. The Mordechai then brings an interesting conversation that took place between, uh, Rabbi, between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Klonimus and Rabbeinu Ephraim. So just a little bit of, of background. In, in Germany during medieval times, going back to the 10th century, there were three cities that were massive Mekomot Torah. I say massive, not in numbers, they weren't great numbers in Europe at any time uh, during medieval periods, but, but in terms of, of the Chochmah, of the wisdom of Torah. Uh, and that was Spire, Worms, and Mainz. These three cities that were not far from each other along the River Rhine were considered the cradle of, of uh, the, the Rishonim of, of, of Western Europe. In fact, UNESCO, uh, recently, I think it was last year, in fact, declared those cities of uh, 
UNESCO a place of interest uh, because of its uh, the contribution that came from those three towns. The, it started already in, in the 10th century when Reclonimus Meyer came from Italy and settled settled in Spire. Uh, Reclonimus Meyer was important because he was uh, a Talmud of Rebefraim of Regensburg, and Rebefraim of Regensburg was a Talmud of Rabbi Nutam and the Rivo, the grandchildren of Rashi, the first Baalitosis. So this uh, Rabbi Yehuda Rabbi Clonimus, who comes to to Mainz, uh, a Talmud of Rabbeinu Ephraim, who is from the from the Baaleitosvis. Uh, his father, Rabbeinu Klonimus Bremeyer, comes in the 10th century. Rabbeinu Yehuda himself is, is a little bit later. And the Mordechai brings a conversation that Rabbeinu Yehuda Bremeyer has with his Rebbe, Rabbeinu Ephraim of Regensburg. And he asks Rabbeinu Ephraim whether this Mishnah and Peah applies only to the agricultural laws of Leket Shechel and Peah or whether it also applies to all laws of, of Tzedakah. And he answers that the reason that a person who has more than 200 zoos may not take of that agricultural tithing is because it's considered gozel ha'aniyim, you're actually stealing from poor people because that is set aside for the poor and you're not a poor person. So if you're taking it, that's considered theft. And he says also, anybody who doesn't need tzedakah and takes tzedakah, gozel ha'aniyim, even if it's not the tithes we're talking about, but just normal tzedakah that is given in the form of money, that's also because if you take money from a balabos, from a wealthy person, and you don't really need that money, that wealthy person might give less to other poor people. Shomei will say, He might have already given to another poor person and, and give much less in the, to the second person who comes by, but that first person didn't really need the stalker, so he's considered as having stolen the stalker away from the poor person who, who actually did need it. So that's the, the Mordechai. You remember the Mordechai is the Talmud of uh, the Maharam Rutenberg. So this is at the end of the Baaletosphus uh, and the beginning of moving from the analysis of the Baaletosphus into the Psakim of the, of the Poskim people, such as the Mordechai and the Rosh, who was also a Talmud of the Maharam Rutenberg at the tail end of the period of the Tosphus. Uh, the Algamor in Ksubis refers to this Mishnah and says, uh, Algamor on Samaches says, we've learned in that, in that Mishnah that you don't obligate him to sell his home and his furniture. So the Lord, really? We have Atanya, we have a different Brysa. Uh, you remember the Brysa's that set of, uh, of Torah Shabbat, of oral law, that didn't make it into the Mishnah. So there were lots and lots of case studies um, that Rebbe did not include, Rabbi Udanasi did not include, include in his curatorship of what later became the Mishnah. Uh, but those Brysa's also are very are very important. The Gemara often references them. Uh, here's an example where the Brysa says, I am Ishtamesh Bichlei Zahav. If a poor person was using uh, golden utensils, Ishtamesh Bichlei Kesef, he should sell the gold and use silver. And, and then he'll have some money and he won't have to take tzedakah. If he was using silver utensils, he should use copper ones. So you see from there that we do obligate a person to sell his uh, his belongings uh, if they have value so as to raise sufficient money not to be a poor person and qualify for, for tzedakah. Um, so there are three answers that the Gemara gives. One is Rav Zvid, who says it depends what the furnish what the furniture is. If it's talking about proper furniture, uh, or whether it's talking about uh, tableware. 
if it's talking about, uh, and then the Gemara says, but in both cases, a person can say, I just, it's uncomfortable for me to use furniture and tableware that I'm not accustomed to, that I'm not used to. Uh, and it, it's, it's incredibly unpleasant for me, and we accept that. We don't force him to sell. So it would seem that in none of those cases would he be allowed to sell. We'll see in the poskim, though, that um, we we go like Rava Bre de Rava, who says it depends whether it's Kalim, if it's things that you use for pleasure, such as the tableware and furniture, that we don't force you to sell. But if it's a tool, if you have a silver comb, uh, or as the, the Rambam brings, you have a mortar and pestle, some kitchenware that is is valuable, things that aren't, you're not emotionally attached to, then those you do have to sell. And Rav Popper says, Whether we force him to sell or not depends whether he's come to Gibui. Gibui means claiming from, and there's discussion in the Rishonim, what does that claiming from mean? So we have Rashi and we have Rabbi Natam, and then we have a third view, which I'll, which I'll share with you. So Rashi says, Lidei Gibui means that um, if you have come to a point where the Beitin are taking from you, for example, Hayalo Matayim Zuz, you had 200 Zuz, and you inappropriately took the agricultural shikha and payah, and the baiting then heard about that, they come and claim the money back from you. If you don't have money to pay the baiting, then we force you to sell furniture. But but until that time, we don't sell you, force you to sell furniture. That's how Rashi learns the view of, of Rav Papa. Tosfus finds that a little bit difficult because... Um, uh, he explains that uh, that Rashi says uh, that if a person took the agricultural uh, tzedakah and then it was found out that he was rich, it gets taken away from him. And Rashi says, why would we take it away from him? There's nobody claiming. It doesn't belong to anybody. It's not as if he took it out of somebody else's hand or mouth or property. Uh, nevertheless, it's considered a knas. The, the Tosfus explains what, that what Rashi means is uh, there's no real claim on him if he inappropriately took, took Shekhar Peah. It's a wrong thing to do. It's a very serious thing to do, as we see in Algamora. But but there's no claim. However, as a knas, as a fine, we do punish him and make him pay up. Rabbeinu Tam has a different view and says what it depends on is whether or not he has come to claim from the city charity fund. If he's claiming from the city charity fund, he has to sell his wealthy, he has to sell his expensive items first. Um, and, and but But if not, then he is allowed to do that. Uh, if he is not claiming, he's just collecting then he's allowed to uh, do that without having to sell. And Tosfus says it's not very clear. Tosfus isn't altogether happy with Rabbeinu Tam because it separates it out. Is it talking about the agricultural laws or is it talking about the stocker laws? And yes, we saw in the Mordechai that the, the laws are the same, but the Mishnah and the Brighter seem to be talking specifically about the, the agricultural tzedakah and it's strange therefore to explain it in a way which means they're claiming from the city charity however there is a view of the of the rash uh, the, the, the rash mishans is a very important baltosphus the rash mishans is 12th century talmud of ri so you remember ri is the nephew of rabbeinu tam Rabbeinu Tam is the grandson of Rashi. Rabbeinu Tam starts the Tosfa school. Ri is the second big light in the in the Tosfa school, uh, and then the, the third great light is the Rash Mishans, uh, who is the editor of a lot of the Tosfas that we have on Shas. And the Rash also wrote a parish on Mishnayos, and he wrote on on this on this peir, on this Mishnah in Paya, and his parish is referenced by the Rav, the Rabbeinu Avadia Mibar Tanura. 
And nowadays, if you ask a child what is Bartonura, he'll tell you that it's, it's a type of wine. But, but a decade or two ago, if you'd asked a child what the Bartonura is, he would have said, the Rav me Bartonura, the Rav on the Mishnah. Uh, Rav Avadia me Bartonura, we've spoken about him before. He came from Italy, from Bartonura, spent a year and a half traveling to Israel, wrote a magnificent travel log of that experience, the different communities he visited, came to Yerushalayim, was a very small place at that time. He built up the community in Yerushalayim, and that, in that way, really prepared it for the Gerush Farad when people had to leave Spain and many of them came to Yerushalayim they found a vibrant community which the Rav had founded so Rav Avadim is a wonderful parish on, on Mishnah he makes the Mishnah intelligible uh, and uh, he does on the Mishnah what Rashi does on the Gemara basically um, and and here he explains the Mishnah according to the Rashi and he adds just one thing in order to resolve Tosfus's difficulty Valim notel az um, and, and he says, why? What is, what is the difference? Because if he is finding a way to find his tzedakah with sniut privately, he's not going to make a claim at the charity of the, of the town. Whether he's going into the fields and collecting leket or or whether we move into more commercial tzedakah and he's found some individuals who are willing to support him but he hasn't come to claim from official tzedakah in such cases we don't force him to sell first and interesting it is to find where the source of that is where does the rush get this from he gets it from the riff the riff is 200 years before the rough before the rough the riff, riff is, of course is in north africa and then goes to spain but the baletos first knew the knew the riff and and the re that is the rush's rebbe in fact says that there's no way that the riff could have written what he wrote if he didn't have Ruach HaKodesh uh, that, he was, that he was guided by Hashem so the Baletosphus knew the Rif and the Rif is the first one who says uh, who explains Rav Popper in the Gemara that the issue is not that he claims the issue is not about whether he claims from the city or doesn't what the is, issue is is if he's taking the money privately quietly you don't force him to sell but if he's forming if, he, if he's lodging a formal claim from the Tzedakah Fund and it's public knowledge then we do require him to sell there's so much respect for a person's privacy that if he's doing it in a private way we don't expose him and force him to sell and now everybody knows that he's selling his furniture he's selling his house and people know that he's poor and once people know that he's poor his whole status in society his commercial status deteriorates we don't do that if he's preserving his privacy and he's going around privately and quietly to find Tzedakah we don't force him to sell his assets we provide him with the Tzedakah if he doesn't have the cash that he needs in order to support support himself for a year and that view is uh, recorded very clearly in the in the Shulchan Aruch this that we don't require him to sell his um, silver and gold items in, in, of, of decor and furniture in his house that's only if he's not taking money from the official charity fund again you see the Shulchan Aruch based on the Mordechai is clearly moving off um, agricultural charity and talks about taking charity from individuals 
quietly, privately. אבל אם בעל יתרום מהקופה של צדקה, אבל אם הוא לוקח בפובליקי, לוקח פורמל רקווסט פור צדקה, לא ייתנו לו עד שימכור כלה, ולא ייתנו לו צדקה מהפובליק פאנס, אינטל הוא סולט what he does have, so as to, so as to provide for himself in that way. Uh, we don't force a sale, but provide him the assets that he needs. Mm-hmm.